vaccination phone line overload. We ask everyone who is outside of the age groups for this week to please be patient and wait your turn. Why BC's system can't stand up to the call volume. COVID party hosts busted. We're left with no choice but to act. How repeated complaints led to a forced entry crackdown. And allegations of a double standard at City Hall. The powers within the city have ordered them to take us down. Homeless campers cleared out from in front of the mayor's residence. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's call center to book COVID-19 vaccination appointments has been overwhelmed as people scramble to secure their shots. And some health regions are having more trouble than others. Take a look at the appointments that were secured today. Just over 11,126 were booked in the province as of 4 p.m. Most of those in the Fraser Health Authority. But look down that list for Vancouver Coastal Health and only 207 appointments made there. We are told that number could change or be updated, but right now it is looking like an utter failure. At 7 a.m., the phone lines opened for a cohort of about 50,000 B.C. seniors to book their vaccination appointments. But as Richard Zussman reports, the numbers of calls coming in quickly climbed into the millions. Right at 7 a.m. Monday morning, Anne-Marie Copping was on the phone trying to book a COVID-19 vaccine appointment for her soon-to-be 95-year-old dad, Frank. I got the recording and I thought, this is good, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to get through. She was put on hold, then... I was cut off at three hours. So I just got the dial tone again. It's a story many are telling across the province. Gail Helmkin's 93-year-old father spent 90 minutes calling himself. Then she jumped in to help, gave up trying on Monday, opting to call back later this week. We've just been tag-teaming all day, and, and nobody has had any luck. More than 2 million calls were placed Monday, many people trying dozens and dozens of time with no success. Calls were dropped. To many were told to call back without a hold option. Only about 53,000 people, Indigenous seniors over 65 and non-Indigenous people over 90, born in 1931 or earlier, were actually eligible today to call. 85 plus can call starting next week, 80 plus the week after that. For those in your 70s, don't call. Vaccinations will start April 14th, with details coming before that to register. It's really important that people follow uh, our advice and uh, the need to only book, only call in when they can book an appointment. With all the problems, a little bit more than 10,000 appointments actually booked. Most of those shots will take place at mass immunization clinics. Fraser Health, the only health authority with online booking. And of all the appointments province-wide, more than half were actually booked online. I hope that the other health uh, authorities will get this online thing done before mass vaccinations start because it's way easier. It was not possible. Obviously, we wanted it to be ready for weeks ago, but um, it does take time to get those things together. Online booking BC-wide will be ready by mid-April, but that will come too late for Copping, who will keep trying by phone. Her dad, Frank, by late Monday afternoon, still didn't have an appointment. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Now the latest on COVID-19 infections in B.C., which covers the past three days. We have 1,462 new cases, bringing B.C.'s total 
to 84,569. 4,854 of those cases are active, with 240 people in hospital and 11 more people have died. Also, more than 333,000 doses of vaccine have been administered. Well, Vancouver police have arrested two men suspected of hosting multiple parties in a downtown high-rise breaking public health orders. Ahmad Agahi is live with the details. Ahmad, police say they received several complaints about this pair before they busted them over the weekend. Yeah, Sophie, 10 complaints to be exact over the course of the last month. And on Saturday, police were finally in a position to move in and a crackdown arresting what they're calling two alleged co-hosts of an eight-person party at this downtown high-rise at Alberni and Thurlow behind us. Now, if you're wondering why I took so many complaints, well... The answer to that is that officers needed time to make a case to be granted a search warrant that uh, was finally uh, got them inside the suite on Saturday morning at about 2 a.m. They found eight people, uh, of course, not from the same household. Six were handed a $230 fine for being there. And as for those two alleged hosts, 37-year-old Manjinder Sigu and 35-year-old Sanad Reyes, they were both arrested and taken to jail, but have since been released on conditions. Everybody knows the rules by now. This is not news. This has been going on for weeks and months. Everybody knows the rules and everybody knows the consequences. There are some people who are, they're getting the message, but they're choosing to ignore it. I want people to know that if they do choose to ignore it, there are consequences. And as you can tell from that clip, police are very frustrated because they say responding to these unfortunate calls puts their officers at an increased danger of contracting COVID-19. Back to you guys. All right, thanks for that. Ahmad Agahi reporting in downtown Vancouver for us. Ahmad, thank you. Oh, all right, we're going to bring in Keith Baldry now to talk a little bit more about the variants in BC and also possibly when restrictions could be eased. <laughs> Keith. Yeah, a bit of good news, bad news tonight, Chris. So, yes, the variant cases are starting to pile up in number, uh, particularly the active cases are starting to be noticed. A lot of numbers fly around these briefings. But take a look at these numbers in, uh, in particular. These are the variants of concern that are, are concerning, the more trans, uh, transmissible, infectious. The total now is 394. That's up 144 from just Friday. What's really concerning is the a active cases, now 87, up 75 in three days. Uh, most of these continue to be the B117 or UK variant. But Dr. Bonnie Henry, even though we see numbers like this and the daily case numbers about 500, our hospitalizations are still in the high 200s. Dr. Bonnie Henry today saying that she sees now with the fact that vaccines are going to start taking hold significantly along with our ongoing public health measures, we could see some relief in sight and restrictions ease sometime soon. As our immunization program ramps up and our days are getting warmer once again, in the weeks ahead, we can start to look at this modified return of some of the activities that we have been on pause for the last months of winter. We're not going to rush to get things open, but we will take a thoughtful, careful and phased approach over the next few weeks. So in the next few weeks, that means potentially April, May, June. I think by July, we're going to open up a lot of things. The big question now, of course, is spring break, which is approaching. And we're going to be hearing from Dr. Henry on Thursday on her advice and recommendations on what to do during spring break when it comes to things like travel. All right. Look forward to that. Thank you very much, Keith.
Right. Now, questions are being asked tonight about the response to homeless campers asked to move from a Vancouver sidewalk. It was unusually quick and firm action by police and city crews. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, some wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that they were camping in front of the mayor's building. Why is this building out of any building in the city that's so important that it, involve, it like involves so many police, so many city workers? Vanessa Hegstrom and Dante Alexander have a lot of questions. The couple, homeless on Vancouver's streets for a year, says they have never had their tent cleared so quickly from a sidewalk. We asked if there was a complaint. One of them... The within the city? Yeah, well, uh, the powers within the city have, have ordered them to take us down. Sorry, what did they say? The powers of the city have ordered us. A big Saturday morning response with police and an entire city sanitation crew deployed to the Yaletown address. Did you know the mayor of Vancouver lives there? No, I did not. What do you think of that? Interesting. I wonder what he'd have to say. We stayed underneath the chandelier. Yeah. And that's a high profile area. We never had anything like that. Kennedy Stewart would not be made available for an interview, but his spokesperson denies the mayor had any involvement in the swift removal. It raises the question, though, why did the 32-story building where the mayor happens to live get a special response when sidewalk camps exist elsewhere for days, even weeks, without intervention? We asked a small business in the West End how long it typically takes the city to respond to their complaints about the same issue. Four days or a week, commonly, yeah, so it takes a lot of time. In an email, the city says Saturday's Yaletown incident was brought to the attention of city leadership because the mayor's personal information had been inadvertently released to the public through social media. The city also says its staff was told the campers had been paid to set up in that location something the campers deny. I would show you 100 bucks if I had. I have 25 cents to my name right now. The couple, originally from Fort St. John, says they chose the sidewalk because there were rowdy partiers across the street in the park. So where in the city is okay and there's never an answer. There's no housing solutions and there's like, yes, there's programs like... one answer. Oh yeah, go to Strathacona. Go to Strathacona and get stabbed or something. No, thank you. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. The largest hospital redevelopment project in B.C. history gets underway. Construction on the new state-of-the-art St. Paul's Health Centre begins. How it will transform Vancouver's False Creek neighbourhood next on the NewsHour. Harry and Meghan's bombshell interview with Oprah Winfrey coming up on the NewsHour. And seeing red, the story behind that giant sculpture that's surprising a lot of people on the shore of False Creek later. Right now, though, uh, work is officially underway on the largest hospital redevelopment in B.C. history. Aaron MacArthur has more on what makes the new St. Paul's Hospital unique and how taxpayers are splitting the more than $2 billion price tag. Not a lot of action at the site of the new St. Paul's Hospital Monday. That didn't stop the health minister, though, from announcing the beginning of construction on the multi-billion dollar project. We're starting construction on St. Paul's Hospital. Let me repeat that. We are starting construction on the new St. Paul's Hospital, and that makes this a great day. The hospital expected to open to the public in 2027, offering patients and the medical community a state-of-the-art facility that is expected to serve British Columbians' needs for generations. 
to have the opportunity to, to entirely redesign a hospital campus in an urban environment is very, very unusual. The $2.17 billion project is being financed through provincial taxpayers to the tune of $1.3 billion. Thanks to a $75 million donation from Jimmy Pattison, St. Paul's Foundation is committed to raising $125 million, plus $100 million more for future needs. The remainder comes from the sale of the current St. Paul's site to Concord Pacific. The future hospital will see capacity for 548 patient care beds, plus a host of specialty programs. The construction project expected to create thousands of direct and indirect jobs. The hospital, the anchor point for what will become a completely transformed False Creek Flats whole new kind of uh, area that are going to tie a bunch of those pieces together from bike trails to there's new roads that are being put in. It's just an intervention into the urban landscape that's going to be uh, phenomenal. The current hospital on Burrard Street will continue to operate at full capacity until the new one opens its doors. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, as we mark International Women's Day, it is hard to ignore the familiar female faces leading Canadians through the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, and while there's still lots of work to be done in terms of gender equality, women are at the forefront of this health crisis and behind the scenes, inspiring the next generation of women in science. Linda Aylesworth reports. It's my honor to introduce Dr. Bonnie Kennedy. If you don't know who she is by now, then it's high time you came out from under that rock. Thank you and good afternoon. There's some fantastic women scientists, uh, not just doing research, but in leadership roles. We think of Dr. Bonnie Henry and Teresa Tam. They are just a few of the women in public health who are leading us through the COVID-19 pandemic. Women have been more drawn to that public health preventive medicine field in the past. Uh, I think it also highlights the importance of that role. But most women in science have been working behind the scenes during the pandemic, like UBC professor Anna Blakeney, who's discovering new ways to make vaccines more effective and efficient. If you can use 10 or 100 times less the dose of RNA in each vaccine, that means that you don't have to scale up as much as you would for a conventional RNA vaccine. If nothing else, you probably get the idea that she is smart, a simple fact that's been historically difficult for some to grasp. There's a lot of systemic stuff that was holding women back. Even somebody as iconic as Richard Feynman was really in doubt that women had the brains to do science. Richard Feynman was a highly regarded American American physicist in the mid-1900s with a fairly average IQ, unlike Dr. Blakeney. Today I'm going to show you that I can not only read a graph, but I could read a graph that I made. It is through TikTok that she's turning the next generation onto science and providing young women with a role model, which is important because we need more women in leadership roles. It's hard work um, and uh, it's, it's often challenging to bust those stereotypes and to get into those positions. Even then, the stereotypes often remain. Dr. Blakeney has been profiled in numerous fashion magazines. Someone's like, wow, we can't believe a woman can do science. Whereas, you know, someone interviews my male colleague who's like, okay, yeah, well, you're the brain. So tell us what you think about this. I hope that that seeing strong women leaders that we have seen around the world and here in Canada um, is an inspiration to, to young women and girls everywhere. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. 
Coming up, the eye in the sky, fishing out lawbreakers. Illegal fishing is a massive problem around the world. Canada invests millions to defend our waters with satellite technology. And a visiting actor tweets about his run-in with an aggressive coyote. Crews are working here on Braid is closed from Brunette to Camphor Avenue because of down power lines. Someone hit a, a light standard and that is leaning on the lines and that's why crews are down here working on it and traffic is blocked both ways. Again, Braid at Brunette right through to Camphor Avenue. Kermac Collision Autoglass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. In Global One above New Westminster, I'm Amber Bowser. Illegal fishing is a major problem that's threatening the health of the world's oceans, and it is it has proven to be a very difficult practice to detect and stop. Now a Canadian company is teaming up with the federal government using high-tech tools to track down the so-called dark vessels plundering the seas. Ted Chernecki reports. All around the world, vessels are hiding in plain sight, illegally pulling up thousands of tons of fish worth billions. Using satellite technology pioneered at McDonnell Detweiler and Associates in Richmond, Canada's Space Agency and the Department of Fisheries is lending a helping hand to small countries with big oceans that they haven't the resources to patrol. This project is really about taking uh, many uh, technologies that Canada uh, excels at and uh, existing investments through our space agency and the government of Canada uh, to uh, deliver a combined system that can detect uh, dark vessels that might be uh, fishing illegally. To avoid detection, captains turn off their location transmitters, making it hard for enforcement agencies to find them. We call these dark vessels. As part of its commitment at the G7 summit to help poor countries regain control of their fishing industries, Canada is spending $7 million over the next 18 months to help 15 Pacific Island nations track illegal fishing that can be spotted now in all weather. We can bounce the radar off the off the vessel to detect a ship. Uh, we can uh, look at it, uh, detect it based on light that it's emitting. Uh, th- this system will combine many different types of sensors that we have access to, both commercial and within the government, uh, to try and track vessels that are, are uh, illegally operating. It's estimated illegal fishing accounts for $30 billion worth of seafood worldwide, not to mention the significant damage that can be wreaked on fragile ecosystems. One early focus of attention is the famed Galapagos Islands off Ecuador. In June last year, the Government of Canada celebrated the one-year anniversary since the launch of the three Radarsat Constellation mission built by MDA. The company claims it can provide daily access to any point on 90% of the planet. And soon, small countries in the Pacific will be told precisely where to look for suspicious activity. Ted Chernecki, Global News. An actor now filming in Vancouver took to social media after his wife and dog were attacked by coyotes in Stanley Park. On Twitter, Alan Tudyk said an aggressive coyote grabbed his dog, Raisin, and then snapped at his wife when they were walking in the park this weekend. Tudyk, who's in Vancouver filming the series Resident Alien, says he and a pair of passing cyclists finally managed to scare off the animal. This attack is the latest in a string of similar incidents in the park. And earlier today, a global camera crew spotted a coyote in the park just meters away from people.
Advocates for people with disabilities are calling on the federal government to reverse what they say are catastrophic cuts to services. As Kylie Stanton reports, Ottawa is slowly phasing out funding programs that provide access to books. I've already logged into the library here. Newspapers, magazines, and books, all at the touch of a button. But Vancouver City Councillors have now... You know, it's very user-friendly for blind people. Mark Halati has been using the Centre for Equitable Library Access for years. But the platform, along with the National Network for Equitable Library Service, is now in jeopardy. When I saw in the fall economic statement uh, the notice of the cuts, it was a real punch in the gut. The federal government announced it's going to begin withdrawing its $4 million in funding, which supports accessible reading materials and programs, cutting 25% per year over the next four years. By 2024-25, it will be eliminated completely. It'll have devastating impact on our ability to provide accessible reading uh, to those with print disabilities in Canada. That includes those who are blind or have low vision, anyone with a physical disability, making it difficult to manipulate a conventional book, as well as those with cognitive and learning disabilities like dyslexia. It's estimated there are more than 3 million or 1 in 10 people in Canada with a print disability. Yet only 7 to 10 percent of the world's published content is accessible. The cuts to funding are only expected to exacerbate that. This is an issue about social inclusion, equity, um, and it's, uh, it, it's extremely important that we are able to continue to provide this service. The Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Disability Inclusion, Carla Qualtro, did not return our requests for comment. There is a plan for industry-based production of accessible books, but there will no doubt be gaps in what can be produced and distributed. Advocates say saving $4 million at the federal level is just a drop in the bucket. When there is a will... There is a way. Yeah, here's one I read right is calling on others to speak out, hoping the decision is reversed. We play the cards you've been dealt, and we're all pretty much just happy to be here. So something like this is just kind of like, it's, it's, you know, it's insulting because that's not going to be good for anybody. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Still ahead, pandemic suffering that you don't always see. I wasn't what you picture when you think of someone dying from an eating disorder. The exploding crisis in mental health and how the system is failing. Also tonight, new freedom for Americans who are vaccinated and why many say it's too soon. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. How do you grow as a human being if you're not going to open your ears and listen? Good evening, I'm Amber Belser in Global One over top of Highway 17 where lights have been short cycling all afternoon for eastbound traffic. Only a handful of cars getting through each turn and that still has delays for eastbound approaching the 91 connector. Is buying a home still possible? A CIBC Mortgage Advisor will show you how to make your ambition real. Plus, get up to $3,000 cash back. Conditions apply. In Global One, above North Delta, I'm Amber Belzer. Roughly 60 million people, or about 9% of the U.S., is now vaccinated. And public health officials are formally announcing guidance for what fully vaccinated people may do and may not do. And while it offers a glimmer of hope, of course, there are mounting fears in the run-up to a return to normal. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more, including where Health Canada stands on the changes. After a year of isolation, millions of Americans are preparing for an emotional reunion. Fully vaccinated people 
can visit with other fully vaccinated people in small gatherings indoors without wearing masks. Public health officials offering a breath of fresh air that also allows for small maskless groups of both vaccinated and unvaccinated people if those without the vaccine are not over 65 or considered high risk. All of our guidance is rooted in making sure we are keeping people safe. Quarantine for vaccinated individuals who come into contact with a positive case has also been nixed if they're asymptomatic. And while the U.S. pulls back, Health Canada is not updating its guidance, saying use of multiple personal preventive practices at once will still be needed to protect others. Every time we think we understand this virus, it, d- it really does show us how strong and how much we don't know. Meanwhile, with almost 90% of the United States still not vaccinated, there's fear that people are moving too quickly. Destroy them! At least 16 states have ended mask mandates, despite the country still averaging more than 60,000 cases per day. In Florida... Honestly, everyone's like almost piled up on top of each other here. Spring break comes amid a spike in highly transmissible variants. The UK strain accounts for more than 30% of all cases in the state, posing a threat on the beach and when people return home. Getting together right now when we're so close to having a much more definitive end in sight just feels really premature. While the new guidance allows for more FaceTime, it still advises against travel, even for vaccinated people. Every time that there's a surge in travel, we have a surge in cases in this country. The CDC says adjustments will come as the science dictates, highlighting that while normal is around the corner, the worry still remains high. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. A Langley mother and teenager are speaking out, calling on the government to increase funding for a pandemic-related health care crisis. Doctors say there has been a spike in eating disorders over the past year, and the longer it takes to get treatment, the harder it is to overcome. Sarah McDonald reports. I couldn't take my child during COVID to the hospital where I can't be there. If your child was near death fighting a life-threatening illness, you might think the response from the province's healthcare system would be more urgent than this. Actually, it's going to be six to eight months, and I just burst into tears. They may not look like it, but Jay, at just 15 years old, is in the fight of their life. I wasn't what you picture when you think of someone dying from an eating disorder. With a near fatally low heart rate and blood pressure, Jay is caught in a constant battle between their body and mind and anorexia nervosa, but still unable to access adequate treatment. Life is a living hell like this. People think that it's just a thing that causes you to lose weight. It destroys your mental health and your life. Diagnosed last December, Jay's story is sadly far from unique. Just one of many young people now part of a pandemic-era phenomenon on the radar of the medical community. A dramatic spike in severe mental illness in children and teenagers over the past 12 months, manifesting disproportionately as anorexia. There's something about that pandemic that seems to have triggered... um, a switch. It's something family doctor Rachel Bright in her 15 years of practice has never encountered and can't fully explain. Though the isolation compounded by increased online activity and a general lack of control in the time of COVID-19 are thought to be major contributing factors. 
when you're diagnosed with anorexia, your chance of dying from it is 10%. The longer someone stays in the eating disorder, the harder it is for them to be treated. I've got patients that have been waiting nine months and they don't even know when they're going to get an appointment. That leaves so many patients, just like Jay, defeated and only further deteriorating. Desperately waiting for life-saving treatment with the wait times to get it ballooning alongside eating disorder diagnoses. The death rate for what my child has is a lot higher than the death rate from COVID. And families like theirs feeling a healthcare system overburdened and under-resourced at the best of times is now failing them. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Just ahead, a family keepsake resurfaces. He told us it will come back to you in some way or form. 15 years later, how the chief's headdress was reunited with his family. And Meghan and Harry speak their truth to Oprah Winfrey, raising some serious concerns about the royal family. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, just before we get to Christy, there's a very large new resident on Vancouver's North False Creek seawall. This 5.5 meter tall sculpture is called the Proud Youth, and he's one of the centerpieces of the Biennale Public Art Show. That event, which started in 2018, has been extended for another six months. The installation of the Proud Youth comes as the exhibition has had to reimagine itself in the face of the pandemic. More public art and interactive walking and cycling tours will be coming in the next few months. What's he doing? What's he doing? Is he doubled over? Laughing. In laughter? Is that it's what's happening? like the laughing statues over by English Bay. Very similar. But yeah. red and bigger. And much bigger. Mm -hmm. Cool. And alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What a day. It felt really like spring out there today, Christy. Oh, yeah. So if you had today off, you were one of the lucky ones, that's for sure. Uh, we reached 13 degrees, I think, in White Rock, and we were 11, 12 degrees across Metro Vancouver, so well above seasonal for this time of year. This was the scene in Coquitlam this morning. Thank you to Jacqueline for sending us that. Yes, so patchy fog, and we'll likely see patchy fog in many areas across southern B.C. tomorrow morning as well. We did see some high-level cloud, but overall, uh, yeah, it was a stellar day. This is a shot from Maple Ridge. Thank you so much to everyone who sends in photos. Instability will push on shore though tonight so we do have a slight chance of an isolated shower not only tonight but through the day tomorrow the bulk of that will be across vancouver island tomorrow but for our region we do have a chance especially along the mountains and out through the fraser valley so it'll be one of those days where you'll see lots of blue sky but there's a chance of an isolated shower so you may want to bring your rain jacket or umbrella just in case but it really is that chance of rain really does stay low and certainly into our wednesday we've got a pretty nice week that we have in store for you that's for sure all right so here's Here's a look at your forecast across northern regions. Near seasonal values, a few flurries in through the BC Peace River area. Tons of sunshine across southern BC. Just Cranbrook with a slight chance of showers or flurries. Keep in mind, though, on Wednesday morning, you're expecting showers or flurries across southern BC. But there's that 60% chance of showers for Vancouver Island. For our region, a mix of sun and cloud with about a 40% chance. So it's just an isolated shower. But overall, this week looks terrific, as you can see here. Temperatures do cool a little bit Wednesday and Thursday. But lots of sunshine will definitely take it. It's not until late Friday that we're expecting the next system to roll in, bringing rain just in time for our weekend, unfortunately. I thought I would choose this one for our central windows weather window. Karen sending us this from Lynn Valley, showing the incredible amount of crocuses in her yard. I can wow. just imagine Peter Cottontail popping <laughs> all over the place, hiding the eggs. Mm -hmm. That is really cool. Thanks for <laughs> sending that in, Karen.
So pretty. Mm -hmm. Well, just over 17 million people watched Oprah Winfrey's interview with Harry and Meghan last night, including nearly 3 million Canadians. And while that makes it one of the most watched events of the TV season, it's still well behind the Super Bowl. Global's Redmond Shannon has more on the revelations and reaction. It's a go. Perhaps the most explosive claim in the interview is that there were concerns within the royal family about how dark Harry and Meghan's son's skin tone may be. That if he were too brown, that that would be a problem. Are you saying that? I wasn't able to follow up with why, but that if that's the assumption you're making, I think that feels like a pretty safe one. Oprah Winfrey told CBS the Duke of Sussex said only that it was neither the Queen nor Prince Philip who raised that concern. Even more troubling, the Duchess admitting to feeling suicidal. I just didn't want to be alive anymore. And that was a very clear and real and frightening constant thought. And her claim that she was denied help. And I was told that I couldn't, that it wouldn't be good for the institution. Harry outlined how his relationship with his father was damaged when the couple stepped aside from royal duties. I, when we were in Canada, I, I had uh, three conversations with my grandmother and two conversations with my father um, before he stopped taking my calls. And then said, can you put this all in writing, what your plan is? This interview is the talk of the nation from loyal royalists to lifelong Republicans. Almost everyone has an opinion. How they were talking um, about their son, about how the skin colour was, was like really hurtful to a lot of people, to be honest. I just think it's really sad that family matters can't be played out within their family. I think it's a good thing that people can hear about the experience in the royal family. But as ever, the royals also inspire apathy along with fascination. I don't have any views at all. Not interested at all. Redmond Channel, Global News, London. Well, we know the crown will be renewed then. <laughs> That's Netflix. right. Another series for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. Yes, well, the Montreal Canadiens are in town. And as we know, earlier in the year, this Habs team gave the Canucks all kinds of grief. Well, they have a strong team over there. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough game. But since those early games against Montreal, things went wrong for the Habs. They changed coaches, they struggled. Maybe the Canucks can take advantage. Let's hope so. Also tonight, they had a feeling it would come back to them eventually. How a Chiefs headdress returned to the family where it belongs.
A prominent B.C. family was recently able to at least partially crack a 15-year-old mystery thanks to social media. Grace Key explains how their priceless ceremonial item was lost and found and the many questions that remain. No one knows where this stolen headdress has been for nearly two decades, but in a special gifting ceremony, it's made its way back home. It belonged to the late Chief Simon Baker of the Squamish Nation and recipient of the Order of Canada. He traveled around the world with it while promoting Aboriginal culture before gifting it to son Ron. Oh, I just, I just about cried when I put it on. <laughs> when you're at a powwow and you're wearing it and you're showing off your, your tribe, where you're from, and just being out there dancing, it's, it's a feeling you... Hard to describe. About 15 years ago, it was stolen from the Vancouver Aboriginal Friendship Society. But a few days ago, it was found in a dumpster at this West Vancouver tower. A picture of it was placed on Facebook, and Ron was able to verify that it was his. Well, it felt great. Like, you feel like... It's like it, it uh, felt real good to, do, to bring something back to somebody that, that they've lost so many years ago. And it's, it just felt good, and then uh, it was kind of emotional yesterday. This isn't the first time the family has been reunited with family heirlooms. These two beautiful artifacts here were made by my dad. Lamps donated to a Boy Scouts raffle back in the 50s and a turn-of-the-century basket made by Mary Capilano have all miraculously found their way back to the family. My father always taught us kids that, you know, the Creator gifts us with things and when you wear it, when you look after it, and he did a lot of ceremony in this and, and praying, your spirit goes in it and he told us it will come back to you in some way or form. Home, home. <laughs> Grace Key, Global News. Looks really good on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back where it belongs. Yep. All right, final word on the weather, Christy. Sure, so plenty of sunshine tomorrow, but it is certainly a day where we could see an isolated shower, so keep your eye on the sky. And then Wednesday, Thursday, and most of Friday look really nice. So a terrific week uh, is really shaping up. It's late in the week that we're expecting rainfall in time for the weekend, but let's ignore it for now. Just keep <laughs> tuning back in, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. Live in denial. Yeah, we've got to hold it together for spring break, I'm hoping. But yeah. We'll see. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.